Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of our lives. This show is presented for all of 2024 by ASICS. I am such a huge fan of ASICS. In fact, I've been buying them for years and I couldn't wait to get them as a sponsor for all of the the 2024, the entire year. It really is incredible. I'm tripping over my words because I'm just so excited. Yesterday I went for a run in the Nova Blast 3 Trail. It wasn't a trail run, but I love these shoes. They have a little bit extra grip. The thickness of the outsole is perfect and it really allows the Nova Blast 3 to be at its explosive best because it creates that little bit of separation and the trampoline effect, especially in the forefoot where I land. I love that shoe so much. Well over 100 miles on that sucker. And I only got it like six or seven weeks ago. And I haven't been running that much. I just love running in that shoe specifically. So go to ASICS.com today to check out not only all their new releases like the Nimbus 26 and the Nova Blast 4, but also their incredible sales. I think they're finishing up the semi-annual sale right now, which is like 40% off a whole bunch of stuff. Not just shoes too, gear as well. Now, in today's episode, we have ASICS Athlete, which is just a coincidence because we've been following Nico Montanez for a year now as he gets ready for the Olympic trials. Need I say more? This guy is the best, and I couldn't wait to connect with him. So let's go hear about Nico. All right, we are two weeks out from the Olympic trials marathon, and we are here with ASICS Athlete, ASICS, the official presenting sponsor of the Rambling Runner podcast, Nico Montanez. Nico, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. It's been too long, actually. It's been too long. It has been too long. And that was all my fault, 100%. But I'm so glad that you're here now. That's for sure. We've had a lot of great conversations over the past mm-hmm. year leading up to beginning of February. So we are almost yeah. here. This is really exciting. We're recording this on Friday, January 19th. I want to put that in there. Sometimes we don't put the date in there. But I think it's important because we're talking um, kind of what we're supposed to happen, not only what has happened leading up to the trials, but what you're going to project could happen over the next two weeks or so in training and tapering and in all of those things. You know, it's been a while since you've been on the show, you know, back four or five months ago, you ran the world championships, which last time we talked was right before that race. And I know that was a unique experience. We've had a lot of unique marathon world championship experiences for athletes going back a few years now in terms of the conditions and things like that with kind of you know time on your side and able to reflect on that race, what were some of the main things that you took from that race, not only about your own performance and, and preparation for it, but just generally speaking, how the race unfolded for all the athletes? Yeah. Um, well, I think uh, there was a couple of things I felt like I did well um, leading up to the world championships and, and whatnot, but uh, I think a couple of things that I, I enjoyed seeing or like I had learned from others is just like, especially being in the same hotel as like Team USA, people who are winning medals <laughs> um, left and right. It I just love the confidence and like just the chillness that each athlete had about themselves at such a big level, at such a big stage. And me being my first team, it it kind of settled me and helped me kind of settle down. Um, no matter the performance I ended up having, but I, I just realized like, wow, that's, we're the same person and like, who knows what's going on in their head, but they, on the outside, they seem very calm and collected. So that was really cool to see, not only from, again, Team USA, but other athletes that I was competing against. Um, and, you know, the marathon being the last day, um, 
we went to the stadium a few times to watch races. And so I was like, oh, no, maybe I won't go to the stadium at all because I don't want to kill my legs or, you know. But then the stands are filled with athletes who are who I'm competing against, who have already competed, who are coming up in a few days. So um, I just loved the, I guess, the camaraderie of, like, all the athletes kind of coming together for this one big event. So I just – it taught me a lot about wholeness and just, like, what track and field can do for, for track – track athletes and track fans now is it a different experience than running like let's look back at last year like running boston right obviously when you're in boston you're also around athletes at like the elite meetings and you're taking the bus to the starting line and things like that is the world championships a different experience just in terms of athlete interaction because of the length of time that you're there yeah, I mean, I like to think so. Um, there was different teams at different hotels, and we were definitely spaced out differently. But once you got to the meet, whether you were watching, competing, or just running on the practice field, like it seemed like, oh, like I remember seeing that person on Instagram. I've never introduced myself before, so it was just it was cool in that way. But definitely different than Boston because I feel like yeah, we're all eating together. Um, I see them for lunch, breakfast, and dinner. Like I see them all the time. I see them doing interviews. So. I think in that aspect, it was different. Um, but it's funny that you bring up Boston because I felt confident going to the start line because I knew at Boston I lined up against Choge. And it doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> so so at the world championship level, I was like, okay, I'm not totally freaked out here. <laughs> so, Yeah, absolutely. And I would also think that over the course of a week or so, you know, if someone is putting on airs to try to like either peacock themselves or kind of like give us maybe a false sense of bravado, that yeah. that sort of thing might be harder to maintain over the course of a week in terms of just public interactions and, you know, spontaneous interactions, things like that. Um, did yeah. you find yourself, you know, as gravitating towards, you know, people on other teams or, you know, connecting with people on other teams um, throughout the week that maybe you know, maybe you fostered a relationship that has now extended past the world championships. Yeah, I think, uh, I guess a good example, like that I would use is someone that was on the team with me in the marathon. That was Zach Panning, uh, especially. So like, you know, and Alcona Cabet was my teammate and I knew him from an ASICS, uh, or he was my roommate, sorry, at the hotel. So like, it was easier to bond with him, but I think Zach was a good example of like, I kind of know him. But I don't really know Zach. And then just eating together, running together, a few runs here and there, racing together. And now that we're in Florida, he was the first person I reached out to. Like, hey, Zach, I see you're here. I just ran with them this morning. So I ran with the Hansons group and I ran with Clayton Young and Connor Mance. So like that was a fun like group going. So like I think just being able to reach out and have that relationship with others. But yeah, I think World Championships helped me grow. And hopefully for him too, that relationship of like, hey, you know, we want to run together. I know we're rivals on race day, but let's get in a couple miles, you know, let's have some fun. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the the race itself, again, it was a brutal race for, for everyone out there. You know, just, the World Championships being held in August can just be tough by nature. There's yeah. no question about that, especially for a marathoner. So, what did you take from your performance, and were you able to have any takeaways? for the upcoming cycle i'm now talking in the the past present tense so may i say the upcoming cycle i mean after the world championships the cycle that was going to be coming up for the trials 
Yeah, I, I, I believe so. So um, for me, even though we didn't want to take any chances with Florida, so getting here almost a month prior was what we wanted to do. That was always the game plan. Um, and my coach has always said for me to get to like a certain area, however many hours ahead of schedule they are is how many days roughly. So getting to Budapest eight days before I thought was pretty appropriate. But I realized I needed just way more additional time. I see people can maybe adapt within a few days and go race their heart out and more power to them. But I, I feel like even Florida getting used to the sleep routine and just getting into a new environment, like I need additional time. So almost failing, if you will, in Budapest taught me so much with the heat. Um, another example would be uh, just my eating routine. So Team USA fed us um at the dining hall you know for all three meals and sometimes i'd go out with my coach for a lunch but there are times the heat was so bad i i could feel myself like i was hungry i knew nothing was in my stomach but i like i i couldn't bring myself to eat a lot of food which is very weird for a marathoner right to just be loading up the carbs and so like that was something i also took with me and was like okay how can we limit our exposure to the heat in Florida when it comes game time to be here for a month. So I, I am eating, I am hydrating well. Um, so things like that, I think really helped me. Um, training wise too, I think the big training thing is when I got to Budapest, um, I kind of just, I think I hit a long run semi hard uh, and a workout or two that I, I just feel like left me drained. And I know that's weird to say because so just like so in that in that eight day segment prior to the marathon, you you included those workouts pre marathon. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I remember doing a like it wasn't even a long run; it was an eighty minute run. But I just remember my heart rate was like skyrocketing, and I was still kind of pushing the pace. Like I didn't I didn't respect the travel. I didn't respect how my body was feeling, and so I kind of was just forcing these things and forcing myself to feel good because. I have to be doing what everyone else is doing. I see everyone else running a fast pace. So like I got to be running a fast pace because that's, that's just what, what it takes. So, so yeah, I kind of just fell into this trap of like, oh man, like, okay. Um, just forcing it when, when really I just, I need to do me and that might be getting to Florida a month before. And I know that sounds silly, but maybe I need to get to Europe a month before my race, who knows, you know, just to get acclimatized and, and situated and my sleeping schedule down. Um, so things like that, I think, uh, were really a big factor into how we played into Orlando here. And then also, um, uh, again, that, that track workout that I did, it, again, it was very, very light and I felt like good in the moment, but I just remember leaving the track feeling just like more drained than when I started. And it was a light workout for, for the upcoming race week and so i just thought oh i'm dehydrated i'm dehydrated or i can i can catch this up on sleep but i i think there was a bigger issue and it was just forcing that for eight nine ten days and i remember texting uh, my coach andrew we did we did yasso 800s like that monday before i left that thursday to budapest and then i did one tempo and on green church on the famous green church road in mammoth and that tempo did not go very well. And instead of, again, respecting the travel, respecting my body, I just kind of forced things. And it, it just never, it never works out that way um, when you force things. So um, just learning to just respect training, 
and how my body adapts is what I've learned. And Orlando is very easy travel to get to from California. So things have gone a lot smoother, of course. Um, the weather's been different, but uh, I think next week is supposed to be in the 80s. So I'm going to actually get a feel uh, for what race day might look like. So we're checking all the boxes on this one, which is fun to do. So, But I'm glad, even though Budapest didn't go how I had planned, um, I learned so much from that. Uh, it was such a gem to learn from. And, and now I can go into the start line saying I did everything possible. So like I, I have no excuse. Whereas Budapest was like, I'm feeling kind of crummy or I know I didn't eat that one meal because I, I felt full, but I wasn't full. So like I, I have nothing to question coming into this race. And that's like a really exciting place to be. Yeah. Entering the European racing scene is something that a lot of trail runners talk about as a as a Mammoth Lakes resident. You probably have heard this, if not engaged in this conversation with other runners. You know, they talk all the time about that first European experience. And even now with, with the, the folks who are, you know, dedicated to kind of like, you know, bi-continent, sometimes even tri-continent racing, they talk all the time about getting there early. And so, so hearing you tell this story makes so much sense. Even this past summer at UTMB, we saw like, it seemed like every single elite athlete got to Chamonix a month before. In that every single shoe company had their own their like their own like their own spot, and it was completely blown out to the point where like no one was getting there week before, which had been the custom years before, even even maybe even the year before for certain athletes. So mm-hmm. hearing you talk about this, you know, brings so many parallels to my mind. You hear people talking about the UTMB experience because. And the full, the full experience can be so overwhelming that just dialing in the little things can get so tough because you're, it's just such a wild scene. Again, with the marathon being at the end of the world championships, you're trying to dial in all your personal stuff at the same time, trying to be like, I'm at the world championships. Like, I want to experience this as well. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's so true. I mean, you brought up another good point. It's just overwhelming, too. You know, you're at the world championships. There's Fred Curley. You know, there's so-and-so like so many great athletes and it was like okay you have to go to the asics house you don't have to right you don't have to do any of these things but you want to do these things you want to partake in a great world championship race so things like these are part of the game and so just learning how to manage it is like can just be so stress-free once you learn that and i learned about a lot about myself i i got to get my sleep down and i got to get to a place probably a month before and that's just how it goes you know and my big thing is like, oh, I never wanted to leave altitude until the last minute. You know, I even contemplated at one point telling my coach, Andrew, can we go three days before Budapest? Like, and he was like, he shut that down immediately. But there was talk in my brain like, oh, I want to maximize how many days I get at altitude. But I think uh, the trade-offs of being here where race, the race is going to be is a lot, a lot better. So... Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So after after World Championships, obviously you didn't have the, the race that you wanted, but still, it's, it's a great experience. I knew you were so excited to go, and it seemed like there were a lot of positives to take from the weekend. Yeah. And not, not the weekend, but the entire week that you were there. After that experience, once, again, you still have, you still have to do your marathon recovery and you know the mental recovery and all of that. So once you got into mid to late September, what were some of the things that you and Andrew went through in terms of the things that you wanted to check and from a training perspective to make sure that you were as prepared as possible for the trials. Yeah. Um, so 
we look back on Budapest training and luckily I'm, I'm a pretty, generally a pretty healthy athlete and I, my body's strong. So there really weren't zero to little hiccups in training. So it was just stacking another great block on, on top of each other and just knowing that this can, this one can come together and I'm going to use, even though the race didn't happen the way I had planned it to happen, we we're going to use Budapest build to upload this build. Um, but we went more into a strength phase for a while. So I raced two competitions on this strength phase. I raced a half marathon and a 10K. Uh, both local races uh, in California. I kept it easy travel. I didn't want to go anywhere. Um, I debated a couple of races like Manchester. But I just thought, you know what? Like The confidence needs to come up because my confidence is down after Budapest. So we need to just figure out how to get the confidence up and then figure out like different racing strategies too. So my thing was like, I want to race, Andrew, what what are some good races to do? And that'll build my confidence. Um, not in terms of winning, but in terms of running towards the front of the pack and then learning how to make moves there. And that was kind of the goal of these two, you know, September, October, November races where I did the Dana Point 10K um and then i did monterey bay half marathon both beautiful locations so it was like kind of a joy to be there uh me and my teammate both did it so it was a fun traveling with him um and showing them how you know how we do things at the mammoth track club and how we get ready for races so those were like really neat experiences um and i did different things than i normally would in a race um mostly because i could <laughs> Like, I don't know that I can get away with that in Manchester, but I can go to this Monterey Bay half and, and from mile two, just press the gas and see what happens. And, and so I learned a lot about myself through racing like that. And that was a really, really neat experience. Uh, Dana Point 10K, I, you know, for example, I turned to my teammate the day before the race and I was like, you know, I really want to learn something about myself. And he's going in his head. He's like, oh, no, what does that mean? Like, I'm going to just go off from the gun. No one says that and then coasts, right? <laughs> yeah. And so in his brain, he's like, oh, it's done. It's over. Um, so I think at about a mile into the Dana Point 10K, I was just like, you know, usually I sit until four miles and maybe I can break nine miles, nine minute or yeah, nine uh, minutes for the last two miles and see what that's like a, a you know i feel like confident in that but i was like you know what screw it so i just took the lead after mile one i think we ran like a little over 450 for the first mile of the 10k on the road and then i i took it down to like sub 430 and i just i didn't keep that pace but um again it was just all about learning okay where are my strengths where are my weaknesses i know i don't like to lead but i need to learn how to lead because that could be a potential thing I do at the trials because maybe people want to sit back and not unlock a spot like that. There's that talk going around. This is before Chicago had even happened. Um, so I need to be comfortable with myself and my abilities to learn, say, Hey, I might need to snatch the lead and I need to be okay with that. And like, can Nico run five minute pace for two eleven thirty? I mean, can it be done? And so those were things I practiced in both the half marathon and the 10K. So one of the races I got second and one of the races I got first. So that was, it was still like a, a neat learning experience for me. And I wasn't going for the placing, although the placing came. Uh, but I was more going with like just challenging my body to do so much more 
than maybe what I've done in the past, which is just sit, sit, try to be comfortable, turn off the brain, um, and then try to pick it up with the boys when they go faster. And usually that doesn't, it goes well for me, but it's, I always end up like, oh, I could have pushed here a little bit more. And so I'm just trying to like figure out how to uh, push during these like races where it is really uncomfortable. Um, and learning to respond to moves because I know Connor Mance is going to have a big move ready, <laughs> saved up in his legs. And I, I better be ready, you know, like I can't be hanging out in the back. So, so yeah, those races taught me a lot. And then on after that, those races, it was just a really big, big build for uh, putting in the heavy miles and heavy training for, for Florida. So um, I wish I could have raced again, but there was really nothing in like December time that looked appropriate. So uh we did a 10 mile tempo um or a time trial if you will in um in uh in california just to kind of see where my training was and that went really well so i was like okay that's a that's a race to me in my head even though it wasn't an official meet so our podcast is brought to you by v.o2 a coaching app based on the science of legendary coach jack daniels unlike most other running apps v. is truly personalized understands the type of runner you are what you're aiming for what you're training for and how to maximize your effort it gives you a more basically gives you more control over your training gives you feedback and it really enhances the way that you can get data out of your training and that's what i love so much about this system overall and the Jack Daniels stuff uh, in general. Like I, I think a lot of people in the coaching space have learned so much from Jack Daniels and all that is embedded in the app. And once you do, you know, basically find out exactly where you are in terms of your fitness, whether it's through a 5k, a 10k or a test, like a time trial, it can really dial in the kind of paces you should be doing for all types of efforts, whether that's easy pace, marathon effort, all the way down to interval and VDOT sessions, not I'm sorry, VDOT sessions, but via VO2 max sessions, which can be really helpful. So if you want to give it a try, go to v.o2.com today. Also get 20% off by using code rambling at checkout and you get a 14 day free trial to see if it's for you. Also want to give a shout out to our other sponsor, the For the Long Run podcast with my good friend, Jonathan Levitt. You're listening to this, a Road to the Trials episode. He's doing his own Road to the Trials episodes, but he's partnering with Wazell, and it is a really fun series. In fact, I had another episode out today, episode 301 with Elena Heyday. Go check that out. They have a fantastic series going on. They're partnering with Wazell. Go check out Jonathan this podcast for the long run wherever you get your podcast and how does a race that is at the level of like the the monterey half which as you mentioned like doesn't have the august group of elite runners that you're going to find elsewhere and it does allow you to do all the things that you mentioned how does that experience compare to like really bringing it in a training session right so like having like that time trial situation where mm -hmm. for all intents and purposes you're also giving a max effort but how how are those two differ, and how do you choose which one is maybe a uh, a better situation for a certain time frame? Yeah, that's a good. I think the races just fit well, um, and I I think that I noticed is just grabbing the top guys and hopefully running with them for a few miles, whether that's in the ten k or the half, and uh, seeing what four fifty five four forty five feels like in a pack versus alone. And so I think that's one of the big differences I was trying to look out for. So, um, you know, there was a guy in the half marathon that was pretty challenging all the way up to seven, six miles of the race. 
And I, you know, at some point I, even I got tired and I, and I was like, okay, I, I'm a little fatigued now, you know, still have a long ways to go. Um, but this guy's up here challenging me. Um, let's see if I can break him, you know, and, or something like that. So, so just running in with that guy in the pack and seeing what 450 effort feels like. Um, and then the only difference between that and my time trial I did was uh, maybe sending it a lot harder than I normally would a race because I, I want the legs to come off halfway through and see what I can do towards the end of the end of the time trial, if you will, if I can maintain, if I can pick up the pace or, or something like that. So, yeah, I think the biggest difference was like running in a pack and then not running in a pack. Um, but Andrew's on a bike, so it, it in a way it does feel like a like you're running in a pack because you get to fold in behind the bike. Uh, but it isn't. You're right. It's not the same. That adrenaline that you get when you're racing is just different. So, um, but the biggest difference for me was finding that pack pace versus solo pace. Now, were you so, keeping like an eye on the rest of like the running field? Like, were you watching the marathon majors play out and seeing the other races that were going down? And and how tied in to you know, your peers, were you during that time frame, not only from a racing perspective, because it's hard not to, you know, as a fan of the sport, yeah. obviously you're going to, you know, pay attention to what's going on there, but like even, you know, being on Strava or seeing other people's training or just like the normal talkings amongst athletes where you can kind of get a feel for who's looking good, who's struggling and things like that. How, how keyed into your peers and competitors were you over the last couple months? I think I was pretty tuned in when Chicago, before Chicago had happened and then when Chicago had happened, only because like Clayton Young and Connor Matz, like they're my teammates. I follow them on social media. I see their Strava. So it was just easy for me to keep like their performances in my mind. And then Clayton started racing not just one race well, but multiple races well, and then started killing the road scene. So I was like, wow, like, Almost to a point where it's like, is he going to run the marathon? Because now he's he's done everything. It feels like he doesn't need to run a marathon, but he's he's just crushing the he's crushing the road scene. And so, um, so I was pretty in tune with that, and I wished him luck before the race. I was texting him in the race while they were running. Like I wish him congratulations after. So, um, I was really really tuned in to Chicago Marathon, um, and then. Not really so much in the other marathon after that, but when they had accomplished everything they had accomplished after Chicago, it was like, whoa, you know, uh, that's really cool. And then, you know, Kevin Kipt, Calvin Kiptum running as well was an amazing performance. And then Coach Eyestone is one of the broadcasters at Chicago Marathon. So, like, I was just really invested in Chicago. Um, so that, for me, was, like, the biggest, like... Um, investment i would say uh but then in terms of all that i just i kept an eye on people but really it was like focusing on me and what what i need to do for budapest after post budapest and then getting ready for the trials and i was like okay just saw two amazing performances across the board at chicago how can i use that to my advantage you know type of thing how can i use that to inspire me so that's kind of what i keyed in on right and as byu alum do you just view those guys like, hey, those are my peers. So if they're doing that, like, there's no reason in the world that I can't be doing that. Is that is that how you view it, or how when you see, or let me put, or you can even say it more generally, when you see other athletes have fantastic performances, whether it's those two or Kelvin or you know 
name a person, um, do you immediately go yeah. to like, hey, good for them, but like I'm as talented as they are. I can that if they can do it, that means I can do it. Or do you have to kind of like shuffle things around in your head to kind of readjust? Yeah, I think I think it really hits close to home with Clayton, especially because he didn't have a great 2022 season. He got surgery. Things were just really up in the air. Um, I don't know that he he might have raced Chicago that year, where he like stumbled across the line. Like it was it was just a hard last, you know, thirty five to forty k, if you will. Um, and so watching what he was able to accomplish, and it was fun following his journey because I, even though we, I hadn't talked really to him personally throughout that process, I saw the confidence and belief growing with each and every race and it was very very apparent to me through social media that that was growing so much and so when it came to race day at chicago it was like not a matter of if it was just a matter of when he wanted to make his move and sure enough he showed it so so yeah so i think watching clayton accomplish what he did was like coach Stone is a great marathon coach um Connor Mance is a tough teammate to work out with. <laughs> so if you could stay with him. Uh, but three, like, man, Clayton has a lot going on with family and, and everything like that and injuries, and he was able to bounce back. And I, I think what I took from that was, like, how much belief in yourself and confidence can grow from that. And so that was, like, a really big thing to me. So it wasn't like, I can do that, because I didn't want to take any away from anyone's performance, but just, like, what an incredible feeling to have that much confidence and belief in yourself to go out and, and accomplish that. So that's something that I've always wanted to work on myself because I, I think chemistry, chemistry wise, I have the heart, the lungs, the legs, the capillaries. I, I have the ability to make an Olympic team, which I don't think a lot of people can say, um, but do I have it upstairs? And that's what I'm trying to work on personally. And so you know, chemistry is there and maybe that's enough for some people, but unfortunately my brain likes to go a lot of different places. And if I can get my head on straight, like I believe I can make an Olympic team. And so watching that process again from Clayton was like, okay, and I know what I need to work on, you know, because I, yeah, I, I and you've showed it other places. I'm oh, sorry. No. Yeah. And I mean, I've worked out with Clayton. We crossed over years. Um, like I, I led that team. Um, and so I know what the ability is there, you know, again, the chemistry is there, uh, but can I put it together on race day is a whole different question. Right. I mean, if you look at Boston this year, you had a great day against some of the best runners in the world. You know, you ran yeah. 210 and finished 13th and you were in a pack of a bunch of other people as well. So it was yeah. you know, obviously a good day for you. And I think a great harbinger of things to come again, barring you know everything coming together on the day, which obviously yeah. you never know what's going to happen. Right? We saw if you look at 2020, there are plenty of people who went into that day expecting great things, you know, fellow yeah. BYU alum jared ward right i think you know four yeah. years ago we all i think i think everyone had like jared in their top three right and like it was a tough day for him and that's sometimes things just happen like that but i think ultimately you've certainly shown the prowess in the past and there's no reason to think that you can't put together on race day from a training perspective over the last couple months we've dove we dove into your training into you know, before boston and then into the summer before budapest how did things either mimic or differ from those previous training blocks in terms of mileage and you know the cadence of workouts you know the kinds of workouts you were doing and things of that nature 
Um, I don't think it changed much. Um, I just wanted to race more. So I wanted to race more, adapt from that racing stimulus, and then use that stimulus for my next kind of couple weeks of training. So I think in terms of that, um, we did slow some things down. So my, I had mentioned before, we do like three concentration long runs throughout the build. The first one starting at 90 minutes, the last one starting ending in two hours. And normally, you know, I did 520 pace or 518 pace at 7,000 feet, really hilly, you know, great workout. But because of the snow and stuff and cold weather, we went down to see, we call it our sea level. So we went down to 4,500 feet. And I said, you know what, I, I could run 505, 510 pace for this long run concentration workout, but then it doesn't, that's not a workout anymore, or that's not a, what we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to accomplish the long run feeling of this. So I actually slowed it down significantly than what I did in, at 7,000 feet, and I feel better because of it. So just really learning to listen to your body. So I guess if anything, um, I changed listening to myself more so I wasn't fried come race day as well so because everything matters you know so maybe maybe i went into budapest a little bit overcooked uh, sometimes i think about that too so in what's the communication like between you and andrew when it comes to obviously he has a vision for how the training should go and they're, they're yep. working with him for a reason right for his expertise in that area but at the same time you mentioned listening to your body and being able to adjust so what's the communication like when either he has a certain vision and then maybe your vision doesn't necessarily align or if like your body, if your visions are aligned, but your body is just kind of telling you like, yeah, maybe not on this day. Um, so how do yeah. you, how do you manage that process when it's not perfectly streamlined and things are all pointing in the same direction? Yeah. Um, he always talks about this, which is pretty awesome. Like he said, if, if I have a workout planned this day and you come to me and you have a better argument than I do. So not not in a way of like, I have the best argument, so prove me wrong, but like, let's have an open discussion. And I, if I feel like it's pretty valid, that that's, that's changed something. So he's really receptive and extremely open to what I want to do. Um, his big thing is like, how can we still get in the volume of what we need to do, but remove a speed workout, maybe remove a medium long run because you're lazy to freshen up. So um at that point i feel like it's really just the small things but like he now sends me this is how i know i've made it so uh he now sends me work my workout weeks like three to two weeks in advance and he puts miles he doesn't put miles he puts minutes right because sometimes you're feeling tired one day so you don't get as much miles as in maybe the next day so i've now officially made it to where i have all miles <laughs> on my list so I get to see exactly what I'm doing set of minutes and then um, yeah he'll send me three weeks in advance and I go back and make changes so I say I want to do this on Tuesday for speed or um, I, I insert an off day because this is where I feel like I need the off day so I really appreciate that like trust that we have because now now I feel in a way that I'm controlling my own training so yes he's the captain he's the coach um but I still get a say in it, which is really cool. Cause if I be like, if I want to say Saturday's my rest day coming up, I, I get to trust in myself too. So that's kind of like feeding back into my head. Like where that confidence is building. I, I know what I'm doing too. So yeah, he's really open. Um, but you have to have a pretty dang good argument to, to change a workout. Yeah. 
So let's talk about race day. Um, yeah. Obviously, it's a race, right? You want to be top three. With that mm-hmm. said, you know, you can't divorce that from like, yeah. from a time perspective, right? So yeah. are there, in a, when I say time perspective, I guess I mean, generally speaking, the fitness to reach a certain a certain time. We'll talk about weather in a second, but certainly that can play a part like any race, especially in a marathon where just you're going to be out there for so long. So besides like, all right, we all know kind of the, the lay of the land from a men's marathon perspective, right? Connor has kind of set the bar really high and mm-hmm. you know, Galen has been there for a long time. And it seems like from three to 20, it's like pretty <laughs> much a really solid group of guys that are for all intents and purposes, incredibly similar. In terms of, you know, either pedigree or fitness potential on race day. At least that's how I view it. I guess before we move forward, is that how, yes. kind of how you view it as well? Yeah, I mean, Andrew's been pretty honest with me. I don't, I don't want him to sugarcoat things, but he said there's about, in my eyes, I think there's about a dozen guys who can make it. I think you're one of the dozen. And I said, great. <laughs> Thanks for being honest with me. Because <laughs> I can be go. the 12th guy go. or I can be the first guy. Or I'm somewhere in between. I don't know. So... Right. So yeah. So that's how we see it. Though. Yeah. All right. So with that being said, is there a certain like time in mind that you guys have view as like, all right, in order to be in top three, we need to be in X shape, whether that's two oh six, two oh eight, two ten. Is there a certain kind of time in mind from a training perspective that you guys saw as the level that needed to be reached from a fitness perspective? Yeah. Um so when we started off this block, it was just a pure strength phase where we were just doing like uphill tempos. And some of those tempos, uh, we call it tempos, but like these uphill runs, I mean, four or five, six miles, I was, some of those I was running close to 730 pace. I'm like, how do you call this a tempo? You know, I was so frustrated because the run was so hard. And so like, we were just like in that phase for such a long time um, before we developed our speed. So it was kind of hard to like, okay, where am I at? I don't, I don't really know where I'm at, but uh, as the training progressed into like finer marathon training, I've always clung to 207 for some reason in my brain. I believe that I am capable of that. Um, Andrew's more so of, let's just see what the weather does. But yeah, you should probably definitely be in 208 shape at the very very least. Um, Because he said the three fittest men and the three fittest females will make that team regardless of what happens regardless of the weather three people always fittest always make it so we just kind of focused on that and said how can we get stupid fit and see what happens right and i guess the corollary to that is what you already mentioned that you know that there's the the mental component as well right that sometimes yeah you know that you have to marry the fitness with the toughness and grit on race day in order to really get the most out of yourself and you've been open yeah. to us for the past year on this podcast about that that exact point now you've been in the orlando area for about a month now talk to me about what you're seeing from a weather perspective at that time of day and you know and, and what your visions are for i guess no i'm not gonna ask two questions what's been the weather like in the mornings leading into i think it's what's the 10 a.m start 10-10, yeah. Ten, men are at 10-10, women are at 10-20, so there's no overlapping um, of, of both uh, racers. But um, so far that I've been here, there's actually been some pretty chilly mornings, and it's been raining, um, some heavier rain. So I don't, I've never been here in February or in January, so I don't know what the weather's like, but I don't think it's this. Maybe I'm wrong. 
Um, but there are also been days where it's 74 and 80% dew point, 81% humidity. So I, I don't know what to expect, to be honest. So I'm just playing it day by day. Um, but I know next week in the forecast is scheduled to be a couple of 80 degree days. So what I'm going to plan on doing is running at 1010 to get, I've already gotten the cold days out of the way. I've accomplished that, which I, you, I, you, I left. you live in Mammoth Lakes. Cold is not going to be an issue for you. I thought I left the cold, but I mean, last year you guys got like 36 feet of snow over the winter. That's not, I'm not saying that's wrong. That literally 36 feet, I think was the, the, the total accumulation. Well, just to give you an idea, I packed zero long sleeves, zero jackets. And I got here and I was like, Oh, we're going to warm up at, you know, 9am and it's 42 degrees. I mean, yeah, that's not cold to mammoth, but uh, yeah, I just was, I didn't expect that. Um, so I've gotten the cold-ish, if you will, out of the way. Now it's time to get the heat training in. Um, but I can already tell my body's like adapting. So, you know, um, that's just, I feel like we're just, every day we are checking off a different box in terms of weather, which is crazy for me to, to say I thought Florida was just always hot, but maybe I'm just very ignorant. <laughs> so I, I love the fact that you went with just like all shorts and t-shirts. I think that's great. Yeah, <laughs> and, 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 and singlets. That's great. Um, so all right another one for the weather you know you ran boston and boston's weather is notoriously fickle you know the weather forecast 36 hours out could be absolutely meaningless to what actually is going to happen on the morning of the boston marathon what has been your experience with just the weather forecasting down there how accurate is it because it's just nice to know like you know do you know you know can you trust that and if so you know what, what does that mean yeah, so I actually don't pay too much attention to like, I, that's not the first thing I check in the morning. I'm just kind of focused on like, I guess, just how I want to plan out the day, which you think would be checking the weather. But for me, it's not. But thankfully, I have a coach and another teammate who are very tuned into that. So they're like, that's one of the things they check. And so they say it out loud while I'm eating breakfast and subconsciously seeps through my mind. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I should probably check that. And they usually tell me what it's going to be the night before. And that's always been spot on. Hey, today's a super windy day. And then I'll, I'll hear that. I'll go to sleep. I'll wake up. And I'm like, oh, yeah, they did say that. Like, it was super windy today. Or it's going to rain, so we better get in our double because we don't want it to get poured on. And sure enough, like, the time roughly they said we get poured on. Uh, I ran through, like, our hurricane. We had a hurricane warning. Or, sorry, sorry, um, tornado warning here uh, a few weeks ago. And I was like, there's, there's no tornadoes in Florida. And I, not that I went through a tornado, but the storm came so bad. I went from completely dry to completely drenched. My headphone died because there was so much water in it. So I have just gone all the extremes of, uh, of Florida, I guess. But, but yeah, it seems to be pretty spot on. So I, you know, I'm guessing three days out from the competition, maybe even two, when I'm in the hotel, race hotel, I'll be able to look up, look up the weather and, and trust it pretty accurately. So. Yeah, I'll get it. Yeah, and obviously that, and obviously that's that's a positive, like no question about it. So that's good to know. Um, Yeah, that rainstorm that caused the hurricane, the the hurricane, the tornado down in Florida. Actually, when it came up north, it was like it was a terror. It put. I, I, I kid you not. My mom, who lives like three miles away from me, she got eight feet of water in her basement that day again is not everyone got that it was just like yeah. a weird topographical like situation where she lives but it fi- her basement filled up like a water bottle that rainstorm was insane my teammates went to the track um 
where I, I hope I don't butcher this, but I think where Noah Lyles and all those guys trained that team. And so they even got, they're like, hey, there's lightning warnings. You know, the storm's coming and, and people, school, kids are being sent home from school. And here I am doing a double, like it's nothing. And then I just get drenched. I mean, dr- like, I, it's like I hopped out of a pool and it, like, it went from like one minute to dry. And then the next minute I was like soaked in my clothes, my shoes took a couple of days to dry. So yeah, I, I'm just experiencing it all. <laughs> I can help but laugh, you know, what do you do? <laughs> I love that, that they had a lightning warning when they were at the track where Noah Lyles like works out. Yeah. I can imagine that being his nickname lightning warning right <laughs> <laughs> just like tie it back to him yeah um well nico i am so excited for you and everyone else who's going to be running the trials as well in fact in about nine minutes we'll be recording another episode of these with sarah vaughn who's going to be down there with you as well i cannot wait to see you race in person in two weeks <laughs> now the trials good luck my man thank you so much matt